Hi, everyone. Welcome to Pockets Full of Quarters, the storytelling show. I'm your host, Jared Petty. I'm delighted to be joined here by Chris Kohler. Greetings, Chris. Hi, Jared. Chris, where do folks know you from? Um, well, uh, I was actually at Wired for about 10 years, 11 years, uh, doing video game coverage there. Mm -hmm. um, and then actually just recently, um, I moved over to Kotaku. So I'm now the features editor at Kotaku. Excellent. And Chris, you've been on Pockets Full of Soup before. This I year. have. Uh, and you came on there to talk about books, right? Yes, indeed. So Pockets Full of Soup, my episode was right when my, 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 my old book, which is called Power Up, and it was about Japanese video games, and mm -hmm. it was coming back back into print um and uh, so that's when we did the pockets full of soup episode it was just talking about the that book getting republished and sort of the history of that mm -hmm. um and uh at the time i was actually already writing another book um and that is that book is out now and so we're here to talk about that book. So, Chris, the new rule is when you publish books, we yes. have you on shows. Okay, sounds good. you okay good. with that? Sounds right, great. So excellent. Sounds good. So, yeah. Well, then I'm, I can ask you at the end about uh, if you have anything up your sleeve for uh, another project. All right. But uh, you write prolifically. I mean, you write practically every day, right? That's well, a... I do write practically every day. And then the thing that I started to realize is that uh, writing both for Wired and Kotaku is that the writing that I was doing, that I was not creating things that had lasting um, I don't want to say value, but like I was, I was not creating things that were permanent that lasted. Okay. And um, when Power Up, uh, right around the time that we were kind of trying to get Power Up back into print, I started really thinking like, you know, I need, I want to write another book. I wrote Power Up when I was between the ages of like 22 and 24. Mm -hmm. And I felt a couple of things is that one, putting out Power Up, I was like, well, I'm glad we're putting this back out again because I really want it back out there. But this is stuff that I wrote more than a decade ago and it doesn't represent what I can do now. And there was a tremendous difference in scale here. I mean, I make videos about uh, about video games. Mm -hmm. I, I write or I wrote articles about video games. A lot of people make videos and write articles and, and make little shows. And Which make is podcasts. what I do. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. We do all this. And it, and it yeah. is a challenge. But you wrote a you loved a video game, one video game so much you wrote a book about it. Yes. And that's the game we're gonna talk about that's today. That's the game we're gonna talk about today. And the game is Final Fantasy V. And the book is called Final Fantasy V. Final Fantasy V, yes, you say. Indeed. Yes, this yes, mysterious yes. game. <laughs> from from far across the sea, I believe. Uh indeed, yeah. Uh, for a long time, Final Fantasy V was only available in Japan, and it didn't come out in the US until seven years after it originally came out in Japan. But that which just is a long time. That is a long time. Yeah. And I, in this day and age, I think that's especially difficult. Uh, for folks to get their heads around when most major releases seem to make their way over here much sooner than that if not right. even before they're released in japan occasionally right. yeah yeah sometimes sometimes yeah uh, um but in the seven years but that didn't stop you from playing it then uh no no it did not and you were what 13 uh time? 15 at 15 the time. okay yeah 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 so basically just going back a little bit so the book final fantasy 5 uh it's for a publisher known as boss fight books um and so the idea of writing a book on one video game did not was not my idea uh, mm -hmm. it was their idea um if you know the book series 33 and a third uh that's that's a series of books uh, that's all each book is about one uh, album of music yeah um and so from then came the idea uh that the publisher of boss fight books started up this publisher to do one book about one video game and the game they chose for you final fantasy 5 it launched with uh, I the chose first it. <laughs> you chose myself, it. okay yeah. you chose that so yes. you made the pitch oh, big time. you came yes. out with the oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. so you made that choice there how, how long ago did that process start um, 
Oh, so it was at the end of 2015. Okay. It was December 2015, and uh, the book, their book on Super Mario Brothers 2 had just come out, and I had done a Wired piece. And again, getting back to the uh, the, the, the feeling of wanting to do something permanent, you know, there's I did this Wired interview um, with Kensuke Tanabe, who was the director of Super Mario Brothers 2 for yeah. the NES. Um, and we talked about uh, how that game got developed, and uh, I actually found out some interesting stuff about how that game got developed uh, that had never been printed before. And so I was really excited to do this Wired piece, and so a lot of that ended up in John Irwin's book about Mario 2, Verbose Fight Books, because it was original research. Oh, really? So he actually he used that, the source that as part of what he did he in his did. Mario 2 and book. and so he mentioned me a little bit in the book, and so then he sends me a copy of the book. I'm like, okay, well, I really, uh, Boss Fight Books had been sort of on the periphery of my radar, and yeah. I had not read any of them yet, and so then he sends me this one. I'm like, okay, I gotta read this, and man, I read about two pages of that book, and I was like, ah, crap. I have to write a boss fight book. Um, <laughs> Did you know right then it would be five? The sorry. Did you know right then it would be Final Fantasy? Five? Uh, it was a couple of days later because yeah. I I instantly just wrote to Gabe Durham, who's the publisher. I'm like, hey, we kind of know each other because I think we've I've written about boss fight books, like we talked about it, but um, I I think I'm interested in writing one, and I, I think I need it to be Final Fantasy five, and this is why. And so um and what I basically told him was we kind of got into this a little bit. Um, I was a Final Fantasy fan as a teen uh, in the night in the early to mid 90s yeah. um and uh and final fantasy 5 did not come out in the u.s and it was final fantasy 4 and 6 came out on the super nintendo retitled 2 and 3 right but they skipped over 5 and i was such a big fan of these games and i'm like wait a minute you mean these two games that i love there's a game that comes in the middle of these and, I, uh, and i've never played it uh electronic gaming monthly right um and it was and a lot of this was it was uh, all of this stuff happened all it's so funny to look back on all of these things that happened in all of these sort of like life events and realize that they took place in the span of like two three or four years you know what yeah. i mean like how much happened um to change uh my perspective on things between the years like 1990 and 1995 which is just such a short little span of time and yet when you're so much change when you're there it seems much longer or maybe uh, there's a psychologist i don't remember who that I, I read that talked about the idea that maybe one of the reasons that time seems to speed up as we get older is that time is subjective to our experience when you're one year old one year is your whole life it's all you've yeah. ever known. When you're two years old, suddenly one year is half your life. Mm -hmm. When you're mm -hmm. five, it's a fifth, but it's still a huge portion of the total experience. By the time you're 30, it's 3% of your life. Right, right, right. And so it doesn't seem in scale as significant, and time seems to accelerate. I have no idea if that theory is true or not, but I think it's... I think it applies here, yeah. if it's whether it's true or not. Um, yeah, because um, in, in 1990, I only subscribed to Nintendo Power Magazine. And Nintendo Power... I mean, it, this, is a, this is a thing that was shared by millions and millions of children in the United States, the idea of reading Nintendo Power. But for a lot of us, that was the only place you got any information about video games. Yep. Um, seeing an issue of Electronic Gaming Monthly sitting there on the shelf. And it said on the cover of this magazine, um, inside, pictures of Super Mario Brothers 4. Now, this would have been late 1990 because Mario 3 came out in the U.S. in like uh, spring of 1990. Yep. So a little later on in the year, here's a magazine saying pictures of Super Mario Brothers 4. So ri that's ridiculous. There's no Super way Mario they have Brothers that. Super Mario Brothers 3 just came out. How do they? And indeed, they had pictures taken at like a Japanese trade show because at this time they'd already been showing off the super the super Famicom was about to come out in Japan right and they they had early you know prototype images of Mario 4 Super Mario World which in Japan was subtitled even the final version was subtitled Super Mario Brothers 4 mm -hmm. um 
And they had pictures of this. I wrote to Nintendo. I was 10. I wrote to Nintendo. <laughs> Livid. No. And But I wrote to Nintendo and I was just like, did you guys know, you know that there's a Super Mario Brothers 4 I saw in this magazine? Is this going to come out in America? Like, what's the deal with this Super Super Famicom thing? Did they Is write back immediately? Happen? Like, I only have a Nintendo. They So Nintendo at that time, when little kids wrote them letters, they wrote them back. They wow. wrote them back. I still have it. It's somewhere. And I bought that issue of Electronic Gaming Monthly, you know? And, and I started reading that. And so EGM started doing coverage of import games, um, you know, whether or not it was ever going to come to the United States. Like, yeah. they would do coverages of imports. And so that's how I start finding out that there is a world of video games that Nintendo Power is not telling me about. A world of expensive video games. A world games. of very expensive video games. Especially when you're the age you were then. I, I'm curious, uh, before we move on from Nintendo Power, do, yeah. you, re do you remember the, the Nintendo Power commercial guitar jingle? Can, can Do you remember the, the Get the Power, Nintendo Power? Oh, yeah. Get yeah. the Power, yeah. Nintendo Power. Get the, the clues that you can use, Nintendo Power. Higher and higher. Fighting oh, your way yeah. to enemy and fire. fire. Very good. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Thank I you do. for singing on the show. I did not. No problem. You I, me, I mean, you got me a, this really nice handheld mic. That's what we're going to do here. That's going to be my ringtone now. This wouldn't have been. Oh, God. Yeah. I wouldn't have sung if you had a traditional, if it was a boom mic or some sort of, uh, you know, mic on a stand. Yeah. But because it's handheld, I'm just, I feel like I'm just at a It's kind of like, karaoke I, bar I think I, I bought like church mics. I think that's what these are. <laughs> okay. These are whatever mics Brian Altano bought and then sold to me later. Oh, that's so nice that's, of him. that's whatever they Thanks, are. Brian. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Um, yeah, so I do remember that. Um, <laughs> so, and, we'll, go ahead, well, moving forward. So you learned about the magic world of imports and you learned that there was a Final Fantasy. Now, yeah. Now, look. Learning that there were magical imports. So, again, in the back pages of Electronic Gaming Monthly, there would be ads for companies that would sell you import games, um, but they were wildly expensive. And so I was also, again, remember, I was 10. Like, I had zero dollars. Um, so there was nothing I could really do at this point. It was a pipe dream that I was going to import games. But as I got older and as I got into Final Fantasy and as it became 1984 and then 95, well, first of all, 1984, before Final Fantasy six came out in the u.s yeah. um i already knew from electronic gaming monthly that square was originally planning on bringing out final fantasy 5 here and then they said no we're not going to do that we're going to skip over it and so i was mad even before final i mean i want to say i'm an og mad about final fantasy 5 person because even before six came out I was already mad they were skipping over five. Had you discovered <laughs> angry message boards by this time? No, thankfully. Um, so I could have actually destroyed all the evidence of my teen anger. But instead, <laughs> so um, I, I did a, a black and white fanzine, which is what a lot of us did in the yeah. 90s uh, at that time. And um, I actually recently donated my entire collection of fanzines uh, to the Strong uh, Museum in Rochester, New York. Excellent. Which is which is um, amassing. I mean, basically, they're trying to become the preeminent institution for... Mm -hmm. uh, for a museum of, of video games they're a museum of play yep. so they have toys um but but they're not just like a collection of stuff i mean they have a library but they're really devoted to and so um i i uh, gave them actually my whole collection of fanzines including all of my stuff so all of my angry 14 year old uh pubescent torrents of all caps screaming about video games in this fanzine are now literally in a museum they're preserved forever <laughs> yeah. they'll be they'll be scanned they'll be ocr they'll, well, they'll be preserved yep. for posterity we're, we're gonna i'm gonna have to really think about whether or not that was the right decision but well, uh yeah. so that so yeah i was super mad <laughs> and um but then as i got to be like you know 15 years old i was just kind of like well i mean 
how much could it cost really to import Final Fantasy V? I really want to try to do this. Um, and the first people I called wanted to sell me a copy for $130. And I was like, no. Um, but then I found out about a store that would send me a copy for uh, 50 bucks plus shipping. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, oh, like that's that's doable. Like that's something that I could convince my parents to pay for a birthday present uh, for, um, for 50 bucks. So I went ahead and I did that. And uh, that's how I imported my first video game and got a Japanese Final Fantasy V card. So you're recounting in brief a lot of the, the stuff from the book. What's not, mm. it, it, first of all, it's a great story. The book is, and this isn't any false flattery, excellent. It's marvelously readable uh, Thank you. and and it's obvious i mean it's big surprise you're you're a skilled writer uh but Thanks. it's it's a wonderful read but my absolute favorite moment in the whole thing is the chapter flip over where you talk about this arriving at your door uh, doing your homemade modification region modding yes and then the flicking the switch and and that rollover moment that's a very and that well was that was actually um for no particular reason that was actually the uh the, the sample chapter that i that, that was the first thing i wrote for the book that was the sample Oh. chapter that I sent because when you write a book or certainly when you write a, a boss fight book when you write any book when you pitch any book they want to see uh, a proposed outline of the book and a sample chapter yeah. um, and so um, uh, a vertical slice if you will if you're a video games uh, person and so that was what I ended up writing was the story of um, when I first got the game and I chose that because it was I mean it was really vivid in my in my in my brain and um, I knew I wanted to write this story that was about my own personal story with Final Fantasy V, and then also um, I wanted to transition from that story into first experience playing the game right. and uh, talk about the opening cutscenes because I I wanted to do that as well because a, a lot of the expectations for the boss fight books are that it's going to be your story and then also it's going to be a deep dive into the game itself. Yeah. Um, and I, from the beginning, I wanted to make sure that I had both of those things, and so that's why I kind of picked that that chapter to do. So you had to region mod your yes. SNES, and region modding an SNES a little different than most other a consoles bit. before or a, since. A bit, yes. Um, in fact, there's a region modded SNES behind you. And oh, that is, is there? That is to say that uh, you get a pair of pliers and you go into the cartridge slot, uh, and there's two little pieces of plastic in there, and you tear them out with a pair of pliers. Yeah, you actually rip the plastic out of it, yeah. and, and then it's region modded. Yes. Because they yes. just physically prevented the cartridge from plugging in correctly. Correct. Correct. Which, and that's, but that's all the blockage that there was, and it yeah. was really... Um, and as um, as Andrew Vestal, who is uh, another old school Final Fantasy fan, I talked to him. Uh, he he comes up a lot in the book. As he said, there's something really like primal and and violent about doing it. But it's like that act. I mean. It's. I don't want to put too much. Uh, I don't want. I don't want. You know, uh, infuse it with too much symbolism. But that literally, like taking that pair of pliers and going into your system and ripping out the region uh, lock. You know, physically is at that moment. It's like it's taking control of your own destiny. <laughs> and that was what a lot of this was. And so you reached in and you yeah. ripped the plastic out. Ripped and the plastic. Plugged out. it in and what's. We've talked a lot Veins about your in my teeth, and <laughs> blood in my face. That, oh, that was very Arlo Guthrie there. <laughs> that, that, very, oh, yeah, very, yeah, very that's Alice's it. restaurant. That's precisely uh, what I was referencing. Thank uh, you. Wow. So reaching, reaching in there, doing that. Let's talk about the game for a second. Yeah, pockets full of quarters is the show about the games we're thankful for. We yes. talked about the journey to get to it. What is it about this game that speaks so deeply to you? Well, I mean. In, in in the sense of being thankful for it, in the sense of um, 
after after Final Fantasy V, I mean, at that point, I realized that the world had been opened up to me mm. and that um, I could start importing games. And in fact, uh, that I wanted to start learning the Japanese language. Yeah. Um, so, you know, prim- first so I could read these games. Yeah. Um, but that was really what put me on the path to saying, oh, yeah, like I want to learn Japanese. I want to go to Japan. Right. Because you couldn't play the thing without translating it. And no. there was no fan translation at that point. Right. Right, exactly. Well, that's a lot of the, uh, there might be people listening to this going, why didn't you just emulate the ROM? Uh, <laughs> there was no Super Nintendo emulator. Uh, there was no ROM. There was nothing. Yeah. Um, emulation was in its very early days at that point, video yeah. game emulation. And in fact, um, again, like it's, it's crazy to think how quickly these things happened. But um, it would be a cu- just a couple of years later, um, after I got the game in 95, uh, that is when uh, people actually did start developing workable Super Nintendo emulators. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that is when fans did actually start translating Final Fantasy V. But so, you weren't waiting for that. No, exactly. <laughs> I mean, look, if I knew it was coming, maybe I would have. Yeah. But at the time, I mean, again, like there was just no visibility to a world in which that was in any way uh, like a feasible thing that was going to happen. But instead, you and two other people you met yes. on this newfangled thing called the internet yeah. got together and wrote an FAQ for this thing. Exactly. So our idea was, okay, you know, I mean, we, again, there was no thought of translating the game. I mean, that yeah. was ridiculous. But it's like... Um, uh, Nora Stevens, who at the time was a freshman in college, uh, she was taking Japanese. She had the game. And again, it we we'd only just gotten like America America online had only just added the World Wide web uh, <laughs> to its to its service yeah. that same summer I okay. think um and so we were all communicating on the news group alt.games.finalfantasy which is you know what people did before the World Wide web to talk to strangers on the internet um ah uh, usenet and gopher and all the rest yeah of exactly a... all the very early early internet stuff yeah. and um um, that is how I started to find people. I was just like, hey, does anybody else have Final Fantasy V? Because I have this. Um, and that's probably where I got some of the advice, how to buy it anyway. But, um, you know, so I meet Nora, who has the game. And uh, she ends up kind of translating a lot of the... Because Final Fantasy V, when I get, want to start getting into the game itself, um, the, was built around uh, the job change system. Yep. By which um, your characters had no innate uh, job abilities like fighter or knight or black mage or red mage or whatever. You could just assign any job to any character at any time as you unlocked those jobs or classes throughout the game. Um, And so you needed to know what the jobs were, what all the abilities were, because you could literally assign abilities to those characters and it had whole lists of abilities and you needed to know what those abilities were <laughs> what's an analog <laughs> so, yeah. for, for for players that haven't played five what's an mm. analog to this system across another game tactics has something similar of course tactics uh, has something similar final fantasy 10 2 has yeah. the dress sphere system mm-hmm. uh yeah but so if you if you played ten two this will sound kind of familiar but right. but boy when you compared it to four and six when you compared it to the bookends that we yeah. saw in the united states it was vastly different right uh, because those games well I, I think you should say this better i mean give us a precis of four and six and how five differed from them if mm-hmm, you don't mm-hmm. mind well final fantasy four um they really went a little crazy with the story um what they wanted to do with final fantasy four was to to really amp up uh the the dramatic character-based nature of the story mm-hmm. final fantasy four in a lot of respects was like 
the first modern Final Fantasy in that way because yeah. Final Fantasy Final Fantasy One the characters were basic ciphers. It was just for people with no personalities. You just picked character classes. Mm -hmm. um, Final Fantasy Two was not the case. The, the the characters were actually individual characters. But Final Fantasy Two is not really that well remembered by anybody like mm -hmm. nobody really likes the story of final fantasy 2 that much <laughs> um final fantasy 3 again the story got deeper in complexity but the characters that you played as were still very they, they were literally just four ciphers they were four like blank characters yeah. um that you would change the jobs of but final fantasy 4 with cecil and rosa and palam and porum and fusoya and maybe well maybe not fusoya but like all these characters and kane these characters people loved like that was the that was really the first final fantasy where you had this big kind of groundswell of fandom all around the, the characters that were in that game people yeah they made that. they made a design decision to trade flexibility yes. for personality yeah because every because basically like they the way the characters were built in final fantasy 4 was all about they took the job system from final fantasy 3 and then that was how the characters were built so i mean basically you know cecil his whole character arc was was around being a dark knight and then then becoming a paladin. Yeah. Um, Rosa was very much a white mage. Sid was an engineer. And that's uh, what Kane these guys are just dragoon. And that's what they're gonna be. That, yes. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do about yeah, that. Yeah. And exactly. and it works for the game. Works very well yeah, for yep. what they wanted to do. And Final Fantasy VI. Um. That that is still sort of the case. They got away from that a little bit, but mm -hmm. Final Fantasy VI still absolutely does that, where the characters are defined kind of by the job that they have. Except for, I mean, again, like. It's a lot looser in Final Fantasy VI. The characters are a lot more interesting, quite frankly. They're not just sort of like one-dimensional in that yeah. sense. Um, but Final Fantasy V, they had to they they struck a balance between this because they didn't want to just go back to four generic people. So the characters are characters. They are individuals um, with different you know motivations and personalities and things like that. Um, but then you can change their their jobs and boy well. can you change them oh yeah and change them and change them and change them again yeah and it is a system ripe for gaming in all the best ways 100 uh, yeah. give us an example of that if you don't mind uh, oh, what's, what's yeah what's what's your well, what's way I mean, to... the basic thing is that you kind of realize that okay well this enemy is weak against fire attacks well in a normal final fantasy or if you were sort of you know if, if you were playing this as if it were a normal final fantasy you'd have your character who was a knight you'd have one character who was a black mage one character would be a white mage for healing and the fourth person would be be, I don't know, a thief to steal something from him. And then you would basically just rely on your black mage to cast the fire spells, and then you'd take the boss down that way. But you might also think, wait a minute, why don't I just make everybody a black mage? How about I just go into this battle with four characters and just turn them all into black mages, mm -hmm. and then just unleash a whole bunch of fire spells? Um, yeah, turns out that works just great. <laughs> and the, it's like the game is built for if you yeah. want to do that, you can go ahead and do that. Now, obviously, there are there is risk reward because, you know, if you have four black mages, they're all going to have low uh, uh, hit points. Yeah. Right. So if this enemy is strong in terms of physical attacks, you might wipe out the whole party. So, I mean, you 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 can do that, but like you better be really smart and good at it because if you're if you're dumb about it or if you didn't level up your characters enough, you might still get wiped out even if you try that smart idea. And then you have the ability to take abilities through classes into other or through yes. jobs into other jobs. And, yeah. and, so, and so suddenly you've got legacy abilities. Can you explain how that works a little yeah, bit? Yeah, so as you put um, uh, experience points into these characters, you'll start learning different. So if you have a black mage, that black mage can use any black spell in the game. Um, but once they go up a job level, 
um, then it's like, oh, you got black magic level one. It's like, what do you mean I got black magic level one? I can use all the magic. Well, no. Now you can take black magic level one, then you can slap it on a knight, for example. Mm -hmm. So now you have somebody who can do really good physical damage and then also can use the first three black spells, the ones that are level one. Yeah. Um, and when a knight uses the black spell level one it's not going to be as powerful as it would have been had it come from a natural black mage mm -hmm. but you can start mixing and matching abilities in that way so that in a pinch you can you can use that kind of stuff and at first it seems like it might be a diluting effect until you see what happens when you combine the abilities and right. then things right. just go nuts yeah because like i mean so to just jump right to the craziest part of it you know um you can have one character master uh ninja um ranger which is a, a, a bow and arrow using kind of like robin hood basically friend to the animals uses a bow and arrow um and then you can have the master uh there's the there's a there's a character it's always translated differently sorcerer or sword magic guy uh enchanter and uh so what enchanter does i'll just walk you through the whole thing yeah, just to get an idea i love this you know the enchanter um they can they can take magic and they can enchant uh their weapon with it and that takes up a whole turn, right, of doing of doing nothing, you know, yeah. just to prep. But once their sword is enchanted with fire, when they attack with their sword, it does a fire spell, and that lasts for the rest of the battle. Okay. So if you're going to be in a boss battle and he's weak against fire, well, use the enchanter because then he's just going to be able to use fire for no without spending further magic right. points. Right. So he's just on the weapon; the he can shoot fire every time. Yeah. So. There's so there's a character that's actually pretty useful in certain situations. Uh, the ninja, if a character, the ninja can equip a weapon in each hand. Okay, so which means double attacks. Mm -hmm. And the ranger uh, has an ability that he learns quite late in the process. Um, that is kind of called it's called scatter shot. Yeah. In which he will fire instead of firing one arrow at a certain enemy, he will fire four arrows randomly into the mob of enemies. Yep. Each one doing half damage. Mm -hmm. So each of these is useful-ish. So like, you know, if you're up against a, a mob of weak enemies, you'd have the ranger fire a bunch of arrows in there, do a bunch of damage, and maybe just wipe them all out in one turn. Ninja, two weapons in each hand, can now do double damage. Um, and the, the sorcerer, we've kind of already covered how useful that is. So now have one character master all three of those things. Yep. <laughs> um, be, and because now that character can have two weapons equipped, right? One in each hand. And then if they use the scatter shot. It applies, it doesn't just apply to bow and arrow, it applies to each weapon that character is holding in their hands. Right. So if you come across an enemy that is weak against thunder, now you can do that thunder spell and cast thunder and it will enchant both of the swords that you're holding. And then you'll do rapid fire, the, the scatter shot thing, and your character will swing each sword four times. So you're doing eight magic spells in one turn. Eight you... thunder attacks. Yeah, there you are. In, in one, one turn. turn. And that's just one example of all the different ways you can game this system Correct. for fun. And the nice thing is it's not unanticipated the developers understood things like this were going to happen right and the game scales accordingly so that you can breeze through it or have a rough time with it but it's more set to how you want to approach the game and, and the it... thing is yeah and so the um the back of the box of the box over there the back of the box uh, basically promises um free character creation like the freedom to create w your own characters yeah and what that really means is um and this and and players have have since borne this theory out or mm -hmm. tested this theory out um you don't have to play this game in any one particular way mm -hmm. uh you really can you can pick whatever characters you want 
build those characters and you can beat the game with those characters. Yeah. Um, and people, so there's something called the four job fiesta that happens these days. The yeah, charity pl- event. Yeah, tell this story, please. I love yeah. this. Um, so it started, oh, I think almost, almost 10 years ago now, uh, maybe even more. Um, but uh, basically people get together and there's a Twitter bot and you, you, you know, tweet at this Twitter bot with a hashtag that you want to start playing Final Fantasy V. And the Twitter bot tells you what jobs you get. You get the jobs in four batches. Mm-hmm. And so every time you get to a batch of jobs, the Twitter bot says, okay, you can only use the job thief. Or you can only use the job white mage. And then as you get to the more batches, the, thief, the, the Twitter bot says, okay, now you can have this one. Now you can have that one. And it gets to the point where you only have four jobs. And you can swap them between your four characters at will, which yeah. means that you can build up you know, um, those sort of like compounding abilities with each character, but you only get to use four. And um, people have done this, and they've even restricted themselves even further, the real masters of the game. Uh, and they've, they've, they have shown that you can beat this game with any combination of characters yeah like you can do it things that seemed impossible originally people have found ways to do you were talking about the the berserker exploit the berserker you want to hear about the berserker thing yeah Yeah. so this is i mean this is like super high level um and requires just a lot of work but there's a character called the berserker um or a job excuse me a job called the berserker and all the berserker can do is attack um the berserker you don't control them they literally like you go into battle and a men- like a menu never pops up for this character. He's this like the opposite just... of Candy Corn from from Costume Quest Two. Yeah, just instead of just <laughs> sitting there the whole time, he attacks oh, the whole yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, he just attacks yeah. the whole time. Whenever yeah. he whenever his turn comes around, he just does one single physical attack. That's it. Now you can uh, you can equip this character with things, um, but it makes no sense to equip any abilities on this character whatsoever because literally all they all they will ever do is just attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and so somebody decided I'm going to try to beat the game with four berserkers. Well, that's ridiculous because you need to have like you need to use like you know high level magic spells and stuff against the end bosses um so what this guy does is figures out okay there's a there's an item called a a crown of thorns or a thornlet and when you put this on a character um it's 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 literally a thorny crown it boosts some of their abilities boosts their defense uh but it saps their hit points Mm -hmm. because thorns are poking into their head and for some reason or another it reduces their um their magic ability yeah well the berserker their magic stat is like two or three out of a possible 255 so it's extremely low it's ridiculously low when you put a thornlet on them uh it call it causes uh a a buffer overflow basically the game tries to subtract uh down into negative numbers because it reduces their magic stat by five but their magic stat is two so it's supposed to head into negative numbers but it can't handle negative because numbers. the soup because it's the super nintendo um it rolls back to 254 it's like the the zombie gl- or pardon me the zombie the gandhi glitch in civilization uh the same thing where do you tell oh no it's a, a gandhi always is most likely in civilization games to use nuclear weapons uh for a similar programming error that brought him back around uh he was supposed to be set to one but he ends up at, ro- at rolled around a thousand. At, 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 yeah exactly right okay same kind of thing so exact same thing um, and if you don't play either of these games, you're just going to have to take our word for it. Yeah, take our word for it. So suddenly, the Barbarian suddenly, has ridiculously high The Barbarian high magic. has the highest magic stat in the game. Yeah. His magic is incredibly powerful. How? And you might think, oh, that's great. Have him cast magic. But remember, he can't do anything you except get, for attack. You get no menu. You have no choice. There. So then there's an item called the Gaia Hammer. 
uh, a, a hammer with the power of Earth, and you can equip this on the Berserker, and it has, I think, a one out of four chance of casting the spell Quake, which always is super damaging in Final Fantasy games. Just causes an earthquake, does damage to everybody on the board. Um, and so somebody figured out that if you get four Gaia Hammers on four Berserkers with four Thornliths on them, um, I don't even know if that even exists in the game. It might just be one. Okay. Um, but you actually can beat the final boss of this game and beat with, the game and beat the game with with four berserkers you can do the whole game with four berserkers i wonder if anybody's ever tried out the super bosses with that and this oh, i don't know i don't know either i don't know he might have the He's, super bosses are a whole other mess that, that's um, it, yeah so there's super bosses in this game and that's that they're even harder than the than the final boss introduced it, in this game and right? it really yes this is the first game with super bosses which has become a staple of final fantasy yep. yeah yeah that's the thing a lot there's a lot of things in final fantasy 5 that were introduced with final fantasy 5 and became a staple of the final fantasy series which is why it's very weird that one um, it took seven years for this game to come out in the U.S., and mm -hmm. it didn't come out until they could they could bring it out on the PlayStation One yeah. in, the, in this in the collection Final Fantasy Anthology, and two, um, because it took so long. Uh, it doesn't have as many fans in the U.S. as 4 and 6. There's a lot of people that are nutso about Final Fantasy 4 and 6 in America. Mm -hmm. And then Final Fantasy 5 is like, oh, that one? Yeah, yeah, I played it. You know, It wasn't that good. Or they didn't play it. Or And that was one of the things I really wanted to address with this book. Um, like, Boss Fight had not done a Final Fantasy book yet. And I'm like, let's throw them for a loop and do the Final Fantasy game they don't expect because one of the points I really want to make is that this is, this is a, a masterpiece of a game mm -hmm. that is... It is in America. It is it is one of the most underrated games out there. I mean, it is a it is a brilliant like RPG masterpiece, a and, genuine lost classic. Yeah, if Final Fantasy V had just come out on the Super Nintendo, I think it would be. I think that this this the story would be completely different. Well, the story of Final Fantasy V in Japan is very different. It is quite different. Uh, Final Fantasy, so Final Fantasy three and Final Fantasy four sold a million and a half ish copies each, like one point four million each, which is good. Um, but it got wrecked by Dragon Quest. Yeah. Uh, Dragon Quest would sell three million, three point five million, whatever copies. Like Final Fantasy had definitely started to catch to catch on as like the best of the RPGs that isn't Dragon Quest. <laughs> um, but it, there was such a gap between them, and um, Final Fantasy V sales just took off like a rocket. Final Fantasy V was the first game to blow past the 2 million copies mark, and it got very, very close to selling a about the same as as uh, Dragon Quest V at the time. I, I would give a significant portion of, of, of what I have in life to be able to be like a 13-year-old Japanese kid mm -hmm. within the year that Final Fantasy V and Dragon Quest V come out side-by-side <laughs> side yeah, on yeah, SNES. Yeah. Like, talk about, what a year. Right, just, right, wow. right. I, I, incredible time is that's that's another of course, game. you have no time to play the game because you're a 13 year old japanese kid so you go to school for eight that's, hours a day and then you go to school for five hours in the afternoon and then you go to school on the weekends you do do all those things somehow somebody found a way to play them i right, I, I, right, I, right. I i ran into ran into enough copies in thrift stores someone bought them yeah but, oh but yeah then someone paid you know a hundred dollars for them too which was amazing although that wasn't that much more than they paid here uh you paid what uh a, a new copy of most Square games, Final Fantasy VI was what about six 80, was 80. 80 bucks. Six was eighty right? bucks. Yeah, yep. Chrono yep. Trigger was like ninety. Or it was something? pushing. Yeah, it was, was up amazing. there. Amazing. Uh. Well, it was a big. I mean, that that issue was um, 
These were very big games. The ROM chips in these games were very large, very expensive. I think Final Fantasy, I'm going to get myself into the weeds here, but I think Final Fantasy VI was 24 meg, and I think the Corona Trigger might have been 32 meg. These are megabits. Megabits, megabits, not megabytes. Okay. So yeah. even smaller than, you know, what? <laughs> yeah. like super, super small, like 16, 8, 8 megabits is one megabyte. Right. So when Street Fighter 2 came out and it was a 16 megabit cartridge and that was like one of the biggest cartridge games of all time, that's two megabytes. Right. Which, <laughs> yeah. which is, it, it just, that sounds ridiculous now, but that was that's an like, unthinkable amount of data at the that's time. Like, that's like the size of a scan of the Street Fighter 2 box art. <laughs> like if, you, if you go up to 300 DPI. How the world has changed. Very much. I want to ask you about how this game, uh, beyond its amazing systems, beyond its beautiful cinematic presentation, all the other things that you love about it there, you mentioned the language. This game brought you in a very real way to Japan. Yes. Oh, big time. Let's yeah. talk about that. That's a part of the story of your life. It is. It has literally shaped the yes. course of your adulthood. One hundred percent. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I was just like, okay, I, I, I really wanted to go to Japan, but like that was impossible. I was fifteen. Like, how am I going to go to Japan? It's ridiculous. Um, I live in suburban Connecticut. We don't have any money. Um, and so, um. I started studying Japanese in high school um, and uh, just uh, there was there was this like after school program that I was able to go to. Um, and then when it came time to pick out colleges, I was like, OK, I've got to pick something with a great Japanese program. And it was between uh, Tufts University in Boston and uh, NYU. Mm-hmm. And um, ultimately, there were there were a few things. I mean, for one thing was that um, I mean, I. I wanted to go live in New York City. I'd already I'd been in New York City like twice, basically, um, because my parents believed that. Like, I mean, they they really just like I, their mentality was you you go to New York City and you you get on the subway and somebody kills you. You know, like <laughs> like it was pretty much just like you can't go to New York City. You're gonna go. You're gonna go it, to New York it was, City. It was the height of Charles Bronson, like like seventies America terror of New right, York. Right, except for like, it was late nineteen nineties Times Square is Disneyland, New York. That's really it's funny. Like somebody's just gonna shoot you in the head. Um, and so they were against me going to NYU, but they would have let me do it if I wanted to. A- and you know? Boston was a and step I was, up. Boston was a step up. It wasn't even Boston. It was literally like in a in a quaint. It, it's in Medford and Somerville. It's outside. Oh, it's Medford. Of, okay. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So I mean, they loved it. The attraction for me of going to NYU was living in New York City. Yeah. And again, I had been. This this could have been in the book, but it wasn't. We took a trip there to see. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to be exact with which one this was. I'm pretty sure we took a trip there to see. Lou Diamond Phillips in The King and I uh, as a school trip <laughs> or awesome. school drama club. Yes, very much so. It was either that or seeing uh, Sarah Jessica Parker in Once Upon a Mattress. It was one of the two. Um, but before the show, I went to Kinokuniya Japanese Bookstore in New York City. That was my. That was almost like going to Japan because okay. that was the first time stepping into this massive, massive bookstore where everything was from Japan. Oh. And they had, they had Super Mario manga. They had... Final. I got one. I got it on the shelf. A Final Fantasy VI uh, strategy guide from Japan. You know oh that I bought when I was there, and they had uh, soundtracks to Final Fantasy games. They had these, you know, arranged like vocal soundtracks. And were they on vinyl or were they on CD? No, at they that were point. on CD at this CD point. point. They were yeah. on CD. Um, but again, 
were were still in the early internet days, you couldn't just download the MP3s. No, nor could you buy most of these things online. Or if you could, it was a difficult process going through a bunch of mom and pop stores yeah. hoping they had what you what you needed. So yeah. I show up there, and they've got these Final Fantasy soundtracks. And again, I knew they existed, but I bought my first two Final Fantasy soundtracks. This thing. What were they? Um, one was called Final Fantasy Prey, and it was the first vocal album. It was arranged versions of songs from one through six with, and every one of them was a, a vocal version. Okay. Um, with like either with lyrics or you know humming and uh and then the other one was final fantasy symphonic suite which was the um the orchestral version of the soundtracks of final fantasy one and two yeah two of the best final fantasy albums like absolutely really really good albums um and i so i got them there and um and that and and again like i was just getting ever so close to thinking oh my god i've got to go to actual japan because i want all the final fantasy music uh and then i went so i ended up going to tufts and uh i i based on the fact that tufts japanese program was comprehensive like they had they had a four-year japanese program and they had a relationship with kanazawa university in Uh, japan and i could spend my junior year there if I got accepted to that program, which we talked some about on Pockets Full of Soup. Oh, we did. Yeah, yeah. we absolutely did. Yeah. Um, and so in New York University had like, I think they had like two years worth of Japanese. You know yeah. what I mean? So I kind of had to make the the responsible decision and say, no, I'm going to go do Japan. It was also because NYU had a fantastic, by the way, journalism program, yeah. which Tufts didn't really have. And I wanted to go into journalism, but I kind of figured journalism is the kind of thing that i could probably get on the job training for Mm -hmm. japanese not so much like if i'm gonna take four years of my life to study something it might be might as well be a really hard foreign language yeah um and then i can devote four years to studying that and then jimmy olsen your way through the yeah exactly and then just pick up the rest of it because i wasn't just going to be picking up japanese i'm a cub reporter chief yeah Yeah. (laughs) and it seems like the choice worked out. Totally. You're a professional video game writer, one of the most respected in the industry. Oh. You've just finished a novel, or not, pardon, a novel. You just finished a book. Well, in a way. It's novel-esque. It's, it's, it is <laughs> yeah. novel-esque. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just, it really is as much a story about about life as it is about a game, and I think mm-hmm. that's kind of the point, right? Uh, it's, uh, yeah. Um, but, but you that... go, you went, you, went to, you went to Tufts, and then you ended up in, in Japan. Uh, yeah. Wow. And Final Fantasy V brought you down that road. Yep. Big yeah. time, yeah. Okay. Have you um have you had an opportunity ever to connect with people in Japan about five uh, and and about their experiences with it? Have you ever sat down and been it was able to do it that? was always I just remember like um bringing it up when I would start meeting Japanese friends and things like that and people who liked video games would be like what about five and they're like oh yeah five five's great you know <laughs> and it's like oh I've talked people about... know about five yeah I mentioned this before I think it was Ray Barnholt I first heard say this but mm-hmm. Ray was talking about the the oddness of Growing up in the Nintendo and Super Nintendo eras and then traveling to Japan as an adult. Okay. And encountering people 6,000 miles across the world that somehow had a shared childhood with you. Yeah. And yes. the, the, the oddness of that, that cultural impact and how it created a, a sort of a common language uh, yeah. and cultural experience. That... And there, and, 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 in the history of the world, there's not been something like that. I mean, I don't just mean this specifically, but just like, um, that nowadays like kids who grew up in the 80s and 90s and things like that no matter where they grew up might have something like that that they could that they could share is incredible yeah video games yeah 
They're pretty Video great. Games. Yeah, I think They're so. Kind of marvelous. I'm going to take a moment here. We need to thank our Patreon producer, Robert Nieder, whose generous support helps make this show possible, as well as everyone who gives on Patreon, because you you keep us going. You fund us. I mean, if you want to buy the, the goofy T-shirt with my face on it, you certainly can go and do that. On, uh, but but, but uh, by and large, we are funded by Patreon. And so I want to thank everybody there, also the members of the Pocketful of Soup Facebook group and everybody else who keeps the show going. If you want to write to us, it's mail at pocketsfullofsoup.com. That's mail at pocketsfullofsoup.com. Soup.com, and we love to read your stuff on the air. You can comment on the video here, and uh, if you want to subscribe on uh, YouTube, yeah, you know, you know the spiel, right? But please do it uh, because we appreciate it. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your cats. Um, mm. Chris, in addition to writing books, yeah, what else ship to right now? Oh, geez. Um, well, Kotaku is keeping me pretty busy, and it's pretty exciting. Um, going from being at Wired, where it was like me and like maybe there would be one other part-time person writing about video games, uh, and just kind of being siloed and just doing my thing. Mm-hmm. You know, now I'm on a huge team of people, all with various you know interests, and uh, you know, it's every day is something different that I'm doing. Um, and so that's that's keeping me pretty busy. <laughs> what piece of work outside the book are you most proud of that you've done this year oh 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 um i just did a piece and, and maybe you've read this uh it's called saving japan's games i have read that oh good okay um so uh i was in japan for tokyo game show um and uh i really really wanted to go out to this group of people called the game preservation society um they are working on trying to preserve all of the video games that ever came out in japan um japan's um Again, I was weird in the 90s playing like Japanese console games like Final Fantasy, but there was this whole other world of Japanese games that I never even knew existed at all because it was never covered in the magazines because Japan had this very, very strong, very prolific um, uh, uh, computer games. Yes. And all the computers, they were not IBMs, they're not Apples, they're not Commodores. It was the PC-88 and other other formats that were only in Japan. Sharp X68000, the yeah. MSX, the, yeah, all, the, all these wonderful platforms we never got here. It's kind of kind of like if you go to Britain and look at old computers right. just like what what are these the and, and really uh, in a lot of different places in the world uh there was just so many different formats and yeah. so but a lot of companies square enix uh falcom um uh you know uh they all got their start on the pc88 konami uh the game snatcher hideo kojima's game snatcher mm-hmm. was originally a pc88 game yeah uh the pc88 had its own version of super mario brothers because because the the, the platform right. was so popular that even nintendo would allowed it allowed hudson Soft. yeah hudson ported that right yeah, yeah a version of super mario brothers for the pc88 like this this was a really popular thing but the thing is it's all on it's all on magnetic media yep. uh and there's just tons of stuff out there that nobody was really doing an actual job of preserving and so i went out and did this whole feature on these guys who are trying to get all the games preserve all the games remaster all the games so that in the future when these magnetic discs die mm-hmm. which they will yep. all of these games will be preserved um and for for future generations for research for posterity for discovery it's beautiful and i'm so glad you're a part of that and i'm so glad you brought that to people's attention it's been a lot of interesting game preservation work what with with the article that you were shown this year and what, what jeremy does and what frank Safaldi's started this yeah. year and what strong's doing at the museum of play and other places uh the, the new museum in frisco there's it's just so many people trying different ways to reach out and make yeah. this happen 
and boy, now is the time. Uh, I just hope it's Frisco, not too late. Frisco, Texas, by the way. Yeah, Frisco, in case, Texas. In case somebody jumps in and says that people in San Francisco don't call it Frisco, which mm. they don't, but you're talking about a city in Texas called No, Frisco. there's, a, there's yeah. a video game history museum that's yeah. uh, opened up there recently. So I believe the Digital Press guys put that together. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and those guys did black and white fanzines back in the day. Oh, that was their origin story. They were collectors. They did black. We traded fanzines. Um, they, they're they're uh, 10 to 15 years older than me, so they were in like their you know late 20s, early 30s when I was a teenager and, you know, stuff but but yeah i used to write magic the gathering decks for zines i remember my, my favorite zine cover of all time was in a punk club in venice <laughs> and i walked by a table and there was a zine on the table that just said anarchists unite and i that i yeah. thought there was something profound nice. uh, wh- whatever angry 16 year old wrote that i was very proud Excellent. of that was a good moment right there yeah Chris, if folks want to buy your marvelous book, and they should, it is available in that. Uh, it's available in print. It's also available in that magical medium, uh, the, that Kindle platform, I believe. But mm-hmm. where do folks go to buy your book? Um, so a lot of places. You can go to Amazon to get the Kindle version or or the, the paperback version. That's probably the best thing to do. Um, in case it's like, in case the paperback is like sold out on Amazon or whatever, just go over to uh, to, to bossfightbooks.com. Mm-hmm. Which um, version gets you the most money? It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Excellent. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, and uh, folks want to follow you on the Twitter and all the rest of that? Oh, yeah. Uh, Kobun Heat, K-O-B-U-N-H-E-A-T is my Twitter handle. Um, so that's uh, – just, just go there, and that's where you can find links to, you know – all my other stuff and whatever. Well, I'm very excited. I, I got my, uh, I, I, I think I've told you this before, Chris, to finance my move to uh, California uh-huh. when I started working in the games industry, I sold my small but very nice video game collection. Oh, right. That's and, right. And yeah. uh, uh, so I was excited to have my uh, GBA copy, my new GBA copy of Final Fantasy V arrive in the mail. Oh, this wonderful. Week. So I'm going to go home and play that now. Excellent. And uh, capture some B roll. Yeah, uh- I just, um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I played. Uh, when I did the four job fiesta following the publication of the book, I, I did the, the Game Boy version. Um, the Game Boy version is the best version to play if you want to get into Final Fantasy V, uh, the Game Boy Advance version. Uh, they, the, the PlayStation version has a bad translation. The Game Boy version, they fixed it up quite nicely. Um, and uh, yeah, so I would say do that Excellent. for sure. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. I All think right. we'll see how they see how the old uh, see how the old uh, Elgato and the Retron handle it. I so I think you'll like it. It'll yeah. work out pretty well. Excellent. Folks, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for being a part of this community. Can't wait to see you next time. Chris, thank you most of all. Thank you very much for having me on the show twice now. Oh, I'm, I'm thrilled. I enjoy you, Chris. I enjoy your company, and you've always got you've always got a story to tell, and uh, that that helps a lot when 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 I have to have somebody talk every week. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Well, dude. thanks again. Bye.